Yesterday, we had a little family gathering for our Atlanta kids, and we, after we ate, we went outside, and some lines were drawn on the driveway for a friendly game of Foursquare. Some of you have played Foursquare. Some of you know what Foursquare is. And when you have adults who are very competitive, along with some grandchildren who are very competitive, it makes for an interesting afternoon. Rules are explained, rules are re-explained, rules are reinterpreted, rules are amended, and people say things. And we'll just leave it right there. I will not say who said what or how it happened, but we had to have a number of different explanations of different rules. A lot of us don't like rules. Rules, though, give us order. We could also say laws. Now, we all would agree there are some laws that need to be on the books. For example, murder. Murder is a serious offense. Rape is a very serious offense. There are laws against theft. And so there are a lot of laws, not just in our country, but in every civilized nation in the world. But there are some laws that we don't like. For example, hands-free driving. In Georgia, it is illegal for you to hold your phone while riding down the road. And some people don't like that. Some people say, it's my life, my car, my phone, and I'll do what I want to do. And they very well do it. So there are a lot of other laws, for example, that relate to driving. There's a sign on the side of the road that says speed limit, and it says a number. There are people who say, well, that's irrelevant because I will drive as fast or as slow as I want to go. If the speed limit is 35, they may say, I can go 55. Well, then when you see the little blue lights behind you, then you get angry at the police officer who's now telling you, here is your stupid tax. And you're arguing and fussing and anyway. So, with all of that said, there are laws that we believe in and there are laws that we don't like and feel that don't apply to us. We're living in an age today when there are many people who don't like God's laws. They don't like that God makes life so restraining and constricted and, and they just feel like, well, that's just not right or fair. But God gave laws or rules or commandments, whatever word you want to put on it, to help us live our life so that we can enjoy the life God truly wants us to enjoy. To live a life that's full and meaningful and purposeful, because Jesus himself said, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And then he added in that context, but the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. To basically rob us of what God wants to give us. There are some people today, and I'm beginning a series, if you haven't figured it out, the Ten Commandments, who feel like the Ten Commandments are no longer relevant to us today. But they're very relevant for us today. This is why the Ten Commandments are relevant. Now, while the Ten Commandments were given by God to Moses, to the children of Israel, as a covenant for this, this newly forming Israeli country or nation, and the Ten Commandments are the basis not just of the laws of Israel, it's also the basis of many laws when it relates to the people throughout the nations across 
all civilizations. Not all of them, but many of them are. And there are people today that would say, well, they're not really relevant to us today, but they're very relevant for us. Jesus himself said this when asked this question, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? Jesus said this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus added to the question that was not asked. He said, and the second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what Jesus did with that statement was take the whole of the Ten Commandments and wrap them into one very popular statement, that we are to love God with everything we've got, and we're to, <clears throat> and we're to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. So today and the next few weeks, now I'm not going to spend ten weeks on the commandments. I'm going to do two today, two next week, one the next week, and then three, and then two. I think that adds up to ten. I think that's what I'm doing. Five weeks, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments to answer this question. God, how do you want me to love you and love other people so that I can enjoy the life that you want me to enjoy? So that I can say to you, I'm not here to follow a set of rules and rules alone, but I am here to love you and love other people. And that's really the big challenge. Because here's the reality. There is nobody on this earth that has ever lived except Jesus or ever will live that will be able to completely follow all of the Ten Commandments perfectly. Every single person is going to break at least one of these commandments. I mean, everybody. I mean, I've broken these a lot. I mean, I've lost count. I don't even keep count. It is impossible for us to obey them completely. And that's why Jesus came. He came to say the law points out your sin, your shortcomings, your inability to truly love me. But Jesus said, I have come so that I could forgive your sin and give you grace. And see, here's the beauty of the Ten Commandments, and this is why it's relevant. The Ten Commandments point out where we fail, where we fall short, and reminds us of the grace we can receive through Jesus. We'll never be able to please God. We are separated from God because of our inability to do so, but He gives us this grace. And so, with all of that said, I want you to understand today that God wants you to love Him more than anything else in this world. So Exodus 20, the first six verses. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods beside me. There's the first one. Do not have any other gods besides me. And then the second commandment, he said, Do not make an idol for yourself whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters underneath the earth. You must not bow to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, 
but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, again, these words originally were given by God to this new nation, Israel, as a covenant. But I want you to notice some things in the verse before we kind of unpack it just a little bit. God gave the words to Moses who gave it to the people, and he basically said this to them, first and foremost, I am the Lord your God. I am God. I am the creator. I am the one who delivered you from Egypt. I am the one who created everything. I have all power. I have all knowledge. I am God. Just remember what I did for you. Remember what I am going to do for you. And then he said, now, I understand something about you. You lived in Egypt for many, many generations. You knew of me, you worshipped me, and I also am aware of the Egyptian gods. And God was also saying to them, and the place that I am giving to you, what we call Israel today, he said the people that live there worship false gods foreign gods, little gods, not real gods, powerless deities, deities without knowledge, deities without power. And God was saying, I know you will be tempted to worship these gods. I know that when you go there and you hear the stories and when you see those little images and when you see all of the things that are the benefits of worshiping these deities, you will be tempted to abandon me and worship them. So, I want you to know something. First, he said, do not have any other gods but me. That sounds very simple, doesn't it? Don't have any other gods but me. Listen, they struggled. They struggled then, And they struggled later. These folks struggled with idolatry and struggled with idolatry. And they made idols, which was that second commandment, throughout their entire history. So much so, I hope you saw what God said to them. God said to them, I am jealous. I'm a jealous God. I don't want you worshiping anybody but me. Now think about it in this terms. For those of us who are married, or maybe dating, if you're married, you shouldn't be dating anyone other than your spouse, by the way, okay? So if if you are in that boat, not, you know, that's another commandment, but you're faithful to your, all right, so you might be a little jealous, right? In other words, when you get married, you want somebody who's committed to you. Yesterday morning while cutting the grass, I'm listening to some classic country music. And some of you have heard, and I'm going to emphasize it the way I want to here, Loretta Lynn. Some of you have heard of Loretta Lynn, the coal miner's daughter. She sang a song, I don't think I remember hearing it, but she was singing to her husband-to-be. And the husband-to-be, these were the words, "You, you want me to do what? You, you want a woman like that to be your wife? We don't do those kinds of things. We're going to wait until we get married. And that was the essence of the song. Now, 
Today, people would laugh at that and go, wait until you get married. I mean, everybody's doing it today. But again, this is a sermon for a future day. So, with that said, we understand jealousy. She was saying in the song, you want a woman who is wholesome and will be faithful to you. Not some wild hussy. There, I said it. Some of you are going, what's a hussy? I, uh, I just need to move on. So, he said, I am jealous and I will judge you for your sin of idolatry. But he said, if you're faithful, I will reward your faithfulness. Now, notice what God said about the judgment. He said, I will judge you for your father's sin. In other words, I'll judge the father, and I will go even to the fourth generation thereafter for the sin of idolatry. And that's exactly what happened in Israel's history. They eventually, after failing to not worship other gods, they failed not to make these graven images of the gods of their day, Baal and Asherah. They failed to do that, and God eventually led them into captivity in either Babylon or Egypt. And there they lived for many, many of them, and most of them actually died in those places, away from their homes. But God said, if you're faithful, I will bless you for a thousand generations. So what does all this mean for us? Because we're not Israel. And so for us, this is what I want you to think about. God also has made a covenant with us in this era of the New Testament. And here's the covenant that God's making with us. God says, as Jesus said, I want you to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's in Matthew chapter 22. God says, this is what I want you to do. Love me more than anything else in this world. And as a result of that, God doesn't want us to have anything before him. And there's the struggle. We, we often don't know what it means to love God without idols. Most of us aren't, you know, going out making little Buddhas. And most of us aren't bowing down to little Buddhas in our houses because we're Christians. We don't do that. Or if you are, you shouldn't be, okay? That's not loving God completely. And so what does it mean in our day to have idolatry? I just want to share with you some kind of religions of today that some Christians, some followers of Jesus, and I'm going to use this word dabble in. You know what I mean by dabble? You're not bought into it completely, but you're kind of messing around with it just a little bit. Herein could be the idolatry. The first one is Buddhism. I just mentioned little Buddha. Other ones could be Hinduism or other Eastern mystical religions. You may have heard of the word deism. Deism has been around for a while, but deism basically says there is a God and God created it, and then God stepped away and said, all right, people, you're on your own. I'm out. And there are people that dabble in deism today, even in Christian faith. Confucianism. 
You've heard of the famous little Confucius statements, kind of wise sayings. There is humanism today where we are God or I am God. I am my master. I am my boss. That's humanism. And then there's another one called Unitarianism. That's where it's kind of close to pantheism. Pantheism is a religious idea where you take all religions and put them into one pot and stir it together and you just, it's all good. All roads, you've heard this saying, all roads lead to who? God. That's not true. All religions do not lead to God in the New or Old Testament sense. And so with, with all of these ideas out there, it's easy for us to inadvertently kind of dabble in some of these things. We may not even know it sometimes. Now here's what I want you to think about. This is becoming popular today among some people who grew up in churches where the Bible was taught and read and where worship was sincere and so forth and so on. Somewhere along the way, people began to question, is the Bible really true? People begin to ask, well, if, if, did God really say these things? Or can I believe and trust what I was taught as a child or a teenager? And they begin then to say, you know, religion and Christianity is so constricting and unfreeing. And, and I need to be free. And I need to be free of the bonds of this religious ideology I was taught as a kid or a teenager. And here's the term that's used by many today. It's called deconstructing your faith. Now, y'all know what deconstruct means. If not, I'll just give you a short answer. You construct something, you build something. You take materials and you build it. Deconstruct means you tear it down to the very foundation and maybe even beyond. I saw this recently, and I, I know uh, someone personally who went through a faith deconstruction, who grew up in a conservative, Bible-believing, religious system, who is he's deconstructed now. But I saw on Facebook today, and the heading simply used the, and this was a website, bona fide, it's called the naked pastor. I saw that and I went, the naked pastor. Huh. Who is this person? He grew up in Canada. He was a pastor. I do not know of what church. He did not say for over 30 years. But he outlined his story of how he had to deconstruct from all of the negativity within the church. And how he had to be free from all of that. And he deconstructed himself and now he's free. Okay. I say all of that to say this to all of us. Idolatry is subtle. And it can sneak into our life very easily as a whisper. If you've ever had an itch and you scratched it, 
idolatry is like that. It's an itch that you can scratch, and the more you scratch it, the more it itches. And the more you scratch it, eventually that itch can become a festering wound. And see, that's how idolatry can grow in our life. It will grow so subtly in the beginning to the point where you go, but you don't realize it. How did I get there? And people have walked away from their faith. Amanda shared this morning, or Jennifer, somebody, I forget now which one of you guys did that, but about how that can happen. And it has happened in so many people's lives. So how can we protect ourselves from not truly loving God? Because God gives us the outline of how we should live our life. By the way, that's never changed. And if you're thinking about going through a faith deconstruction, you have every right to do that. You can go do it. Have at it. But what you will be doing is removing yourself from the protective hand of God. And you'll be saying, God, I don't need you. I am sufficient. And see, therein is the danger. Now, how do we do that? Well, these are some ways we can become an idolater. Okay, first one is our personal identity. Now, what does that mean? It means this. We all look in the mirror. I look in the mirror at least once a day. And when I look in the mirror, I see me, but I don't see all of me. But I look at my hair and, you know, Becky, I'm sorry, but sometimes when I towel dry it, I just kind of, I don't even use a brush. I just kind of, that's good. There are times when I can see something on my face and I'm like, I am over 60 years old and I've got a zit, for pity's sake. I'm thinking, how did that happen? And you go out in public and you're just kind of hide it because you feel a little conspicuous and that's self-identity. But self-identity is more than just the way we look. It's the way we perceive others, or I'm sorry, the way others perceive us, at least in our mind. And, and here's what we do. We replace our identity with Christ, we replace that with who we want to be or who we think we want to be. And we feed this in different kinds of ways. Some of you still use Facebook. Some of you use TikTok. Some of you use some of the more modern or other forms of social media. You take a picture you do what you do, you post it on there, and then what do we wait for? Likes, loves, comments. We go, oh my. I mean, no, I'm, I'm not making fun of anybody. Please don't think I'm making fun of anybody. But I have walked, and, and I hate this, by the way, personally. Every now and then, I have to be involved in something called a selfie. And, you know, when you take your camera and you hold it out and you, 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 you grin and you take the, and then it goes on the media and, and then you wait and you get likes. It, and here's the danger. There's nothing wrong inherently with it. 
Please hear that. There's nothing inherently wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. What I'm saying is if you begin to draw your self-identity and your worth and your meaning to like or life from those likes, comments, emojis, whatever, then you are beginning to say, I am more important than anything. Your worth, your worth, my worth should never come from another person. It should come from God. Because people will hurt you. Not intentionally and sometimes intentionally. People are nice and people are mean. I'm married to an amazing woman, and she is married to an absolutely amazing man. I mean, goodness gracious, she just got the jackpot when she got me. But I'm not perfect. I still say stupid stuff. There was a moment not long ago when Rhonda said, here's how my day went. And everything within me welled up to offer words of, advice, words of wisdom and advice. on This is how you could improve the situation next time. To which I heard, don't say a word. And my thoughts were, you need to hear it. Because I know how to help you. I'm just trying to learn to keep it shut. It's getting better, but here's what I'm, I'm wanting. See, we can move our identity from Christ. And this is what Jesus said about us, every single one of us. He said, my love was displayed for you on a cross. He said, you broke the commandments and the laws of God more than once. You did these things, and yet I still loved you enough to freely give my life on that cross to be buried and raised from the dead so that you and I could be in a relationship together on this side of heaven and then for eternity in heaven. I did that because your worth is not viewed in your failures. Your worth to me is viewed in my love and grace to you. I love you unconditionally. Is that not much better than trusting and depending on other people for our self-identity? And yet we struggle with this. This is one of those little subtle idolater gods where we replace I with Jesus. And then another one is money or materialism. We can derive money can be a god for many of us, or materialism. Even if you don't have a lot, a little can still become a little God to you or me. And our status even, our identity, can go back to what we possess or what we have. And we can, we can kind of say, if I get this, I'll be happy. And we focus so much on those things that it robs us of our relationship with the creator of everything. Back in the day when these words were given, one of the biggest, and this has always been one of the biggest idols in the world, and it has to do with sex. And in this day, 
they were, we think we have a problem. It's been a problem in every generation, some more than others, but in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in our world today, we have become a sex-crazed world. We've always had this problem. And some people replace sex with purpose, and it becomes a God to them. And God says, no, 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 I I will give you what you need, but so many look in the wrong directions. In fact, in the first chapter of the book of Romans, God talks about how we become further and further from him. And as we read in the old or in the book of Romans, homosexuality and other sins is kind of like we just progress further and further and further away. And God says, if you do sex right within the context of marriage between a man and a woman, in that beautiful moment, that is the greatest blessing of all. And so we can make sex our little gods. Technology can also be a god. I really encourage you to learn how to, or maybe, I encourage, all right, phones, tablets, TV, whatever it may be. We can allow that to become so important to us, we would not know how to function if we didn't have it. Oh my, I see some people going, what's he talking about? We, 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 I still remember the day, our, our family, we were talking yesterday about these kinds of things. How many of you remember what life was like before cell phones? I, I do. How, how different is life now? It's very different now. And while they can be useful and helpful and maybe even entertaining, our phones or our tablets or other things can become little gods to us. We can allow people to become little gods in our life. My, um, I, I could let my wife be a little god. I could make her more important, believe it or not, than my relationship with Christ. I could look at my children and say to my children, Y'all are more important to me than God. I would never say that out loud, but I could say that in my heart or through my actions. A mother could say of her child, you are more important to me than my husband or my wife or what even my Jesus. You see, we could have a friend that is so close and we just love that friend so much, they could take the place of Jesus in our life. So people can even become an idol to us. And so we we have to constantly be on our guard so that we don't have another God before Jesus or bow and worship these idols. So how do we do this? I want to just very quickly give you four things. How do I spend my time? Where do I spend it? Where do I spend my time? What has the focus of my attention? And then secondly... How do I spend my money? Look at your checkbook. That often's a telltale sign of what might be a little God. And think about this one. Where do I get my joy? 
What makes me happy? If something makes you happier, then maybe spending time with the Lord, that could be a little God. You see, I'm not saying any of these things are, well, sex outside of marriage is bad. But I'm not saying posting something on Facebook or TikTok is bad. But where do you get your joy? And maybe the best question of all is, what's on my mind? What's, what, when you think about what you think about, what dominates your thoughts? What consumes your mind? Because the things that we love most are the things we spend our money on. The things we love most are the things we spend most of our time with or doing. The thing that we love most are the things that give us the most joy. The things that we love the least are the things we spend little on. The things we don't spend a lot of time on the things that don't give us a lot of joy. Think about it this way. I don't really enjoy yard work. It's a necessary evil is what it is. And Rhonda will occasionally look out one of our windows or while driving up our driveway, she will notice she has an eye for weeds. I've never known anyone to see weeds like this woman. And when she sees a weed, she points them out. There's a weed, there's a weed, there's a weed, there's a weed. She'll get out and start pulling up weeds. And I'm like, good Lord, woman. It's a necessary evil for me to do the yard work. But it must be done. Because if it's not done, guess what? Weeds do take over. If you don't mow the grass, you will eventually bell hay or have critters living in your front yard or backyard or everywhere. There are things that have to be done and you don't necessarily enjoy them, but you have to spend some money and time on them. Now, you can tell my yard is not my little God. But imagine if it was my little God. I would do this. I would say, let me show you a picture of my yard. There's not a weed to be found. I was out there on my hands and knees plucking up weeds. I worked until the wee hours of the night because I just love picking weeds. I love getting the grass out of places that it's not supposed to be. Let me show you. I've got this lawnmower, and I've got this tool, and I've got that tool, and all of these tools have a purpose, and I just spend all of this money because I want my yard to be immaculate because, oh, people tell me all the time, you have such a beautiful yard. It makes me feel so good. So I spend all this time in my yard, and it just makes me feel so happy when I work in the yard and get those kudos from the... You see what I'm saying? If we feel that way about something or someone, it very well may be a little God. And we have to learn to ask this question, Jesus, is there something I love more than I love you? May God help us to really answer that question. Let's pray together.